Hello there, and welcome to a brand new episode of my podcast, Podcast Racing. Uh, today, I'm very excited to have on the podcast again uh, two very good friends of mine who haven't been on here in a while, William and Tabitha. How are you guys doing? Super duper. Great. That's good. That's good. Uh, are you guys excited to talk about 90s movies today? So excited. It's going to be really difficult. Um, this prompt was, was a tough one, but I'm very excited to get into it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was I was born in 1989, so the 90s were pretty pivotal for me growing up. Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, so, what's funny is that I, a lot of the movies on my list are, I did grow up with, but I, I get, I think I would personally consider myself more of a 2000s kid because I was born in 1995 and I was five by the time the year 2000 came. Uh, I was still exposed to a lot of 90s stuff, but many 90s stuff I was actually exposed to later in life, not as uh, a kid, but as like uh, in middle school or high school is when I was more exposed to like 90s stuff. So there's stuff like movies like Space Jam that I didn't watch as a kid actually. I didn't, I watched Space Jam for the first time when I was like 12 or something. Yeah, I have a similar experience, not quite the same, but I was born in 97, so obviously I grew up mostly in the 2000s, but um, we had a ton of VHS tapes from the 90s because I had cousins and stuff that were younger than me, and we kind of got them as hand-me-downs. Um, yeah. Or older than me, rather. So, yeah, I did grow up with a decent amount of 90s films. Uh, and that nostalgia has kind of probably influenced this list quite a bit. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I also was in influenced by 90s films that I saw a lot later in life as, as an adult. Yeah, 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 same here, same here. So, uh, are you guys ready to uh, share your top 10 favorite movies of the 1990s? Sure. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, Tabitha, why don't you go first? Uh, what's your 10th favorite film of the 90s? I surprised myself with this one because I actually hate rom-coms, but Pretty Woman was my number 10. One of the few rom-coms that I like. I just love a good story of like rags to riches, finding what your value is. I don't know, there was something about it that I really enjoyed, and I didn't watch that till I was an adult, so yeah. Pretty Woman was a solid film. Interesting, interesting. I find that movie enjoyable, but I personally don't have a lot to say about Pretty Woman. I yeah. just find it entertaining. Alright, William, what about you? What's your number 10? Alright, my list requires a bit of an explanation. Okay. Because, so the, the 90s, what, what a fantastic year for cinema. It was unbelievable. I was just today sharing some of my list with, with someone, and they said, oh, like, oh, I haven't seen those movies. And I said, they're, they're pretty good. But when I tried to think about, like, would I really recommend these movies? Some of them, really, the only reason to recommend them, I feel, is because of what they did for cinema. Not as much, because if you look at something like, uh, uh, let me pick something not on my list. I don't know, The Mummy or something like that. Picking something not on my list. That was, at the time, I'm sure it had a lot of quirks and humor that have since been replicated a lot more. And so if you, if you didn't watch it at the time and you watch it now, you might be like, oh, well, they're just using common tropes and that's really played out and stuff like that. But these movies at the time, they weren't played out. Those weren't common tropes. They were really, they were really changing the way that we thought of cinema. So mm -hmm. that's how I felt about Blair Witch Project, which almost made it on my list because it had so many things that heavily influenced everything that was to come in the 2000s from horror. So it was like looking at it as an adult now, having the context that I do, it's like, wow, this is such a overused thing with the shaky cam and right. like breathing in the camera and whatever. But it was brand new. This was, like, innovation uh, in this time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, Blair Witch Project nearly made it on my list. The only reason it didn't make it on my list is because I haven't actually seen it. What? I haven't, I haven't seen it. But I love horror movies, and I love what it did for the genre. 
Wait, but you've seen all the movies on your list. You've seen right. I only okay, pick, right. I only pick movies. <laughs> I only pick movies from my list that I've seen. Good, but there were good. some honorable mentions that I haven't seen that I would have liked to have put on my list, but I didn't. You were also going to explain what's interesting about your list. So the thing that's interesting about my list, the 90s uh, were paving the way, paving the way, paving the way, and then in my opinion, the cherry on top, the perfect year, 1999 happened. And 1999 rocked everything. So all of my movies are from 1999. Wow, yes. all 10 movies. I picked all 10 movies from 1999 because I think wow. that it was the culmination of the 90s in the way that the 90s paved the way you have things like jurassic park i'm sorry if i'm stepping on your lists but you have things like jurassic park or or the original toy story that changed the way that cgi was forever yeah forever yeah it pushed the envelope the rest of the 90s made 1999 possible and in a time when people didn't know if the world was going to exist in a year i think it was they made movies like there might never like there might not be a tomorrow so, all that said, this <laughs> it's kind of a letdown. My number ten, my number ten is just the Wild Wild West. It's it's a really? it's a cheesy movie. Again, I'm I didn't put this on my list because I think it was the game changer. I put it on there because it was a it was part of my childhood. It filled me with wonder and clashing genres was something that I had never really experienced, and I feel like the Wild West. Wild Wild West had uh, had clashing genres in ways that I didn't know what to anticipate next. It's and a funky film. It's it's a funky film. I'm it's not a gonna... bad film, William. <laughs> well, you, you have me on this show to talk about my love for bad films. Let's be real. All right. You do love bad. You films. you will like all the rest of the things on my list a lot more after after that. But so we start. All right. So Wild Wild West is your number yep, ten. Yep. Yep. Starting with the bar low. Wild Wild West. All right. Well, it's your opinion, so yeah, you go ahead and yeah. So yeah, that's your opinion. So <laughs> yeah, you you do you, man. Uh, personally, I do not like that movie. <laughs> but and, but speaking of clashing, speaking of uh clashing and mixing of genres, uh, Wes Anderson is a director who I think very uh expertly uh, mixes and uh, clashes uh, genres uh, pretty well. His films are very quirky, uh, all of them entertaining. Like, even his worst one, uh, Bottle Rocket, is pretty entertaining. So I had to have a Wes Anderson film on my list. So that's why my number 10 is Rushmore. Rushmore starring uh, Jason Schwartzman in his very first role, Bill Murray. Uh, extremely underrated performance from Bill Murray and Olivia Williams. Uh, this movie is uh, really fantastic. It has a uh, very uh, quirky, not always likable, but quirky and interesting characters. Uh, it's really funny. Uh, the drama really works. And without spoiling anything, I really like the ending of this movie a lot. This actually might be my fa the my favorite ending from any Wes Anderson movie, and it's almost my favorite Wes Anderson movie. Uh, not quite. Moonrise Kingdom I like a little bit more. But uh, I had to have a Wes Anderson movie on here, and that's why Rushmore is my number 10. Tabitha, what's your number 9? I chose this because I think that it set a precedent for what was to come in children's cinema. I think that we've seen a long progression of what witches look like in movies, but I think none quite as caring and charming up to date as Matilda. She was somebody I looked up to as a child. She embodied this free-spirited nature, and she made witches really likable. And if we look at Harry Potter later on, or uh, Hocus Pocus came out in the 90s as well, which was more into the cliches of, of prior years. But then we've also got things like Halloween Town. These are all things I grew up on and really shaped what happened culturally for children's cinema in a big way, I think. So Matilda, for me, is my number nine, and I'm standing by that. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Mm -hmm. I really liked Matilda as a kid. Yeah. Uh, now, it doesn't quite hold up, but <laughs> at least the book's great. Uh, William, what's your number nine? All right, so this one uh, is, again, a little, bit of, a little bit of an odd one because I wanted to stick to my 1999 theme. This is the only one that, I, that I'm like, no, I'm going to stick to the 1999 theme. The rest of them are all solid. Uh, Except Wild Wild West. 
no, no, no. I put that one on there because when I was younger, I enjoyed that. Okay, so what's your number nine? My number nine is Toy Story 2. Um, nice, nice. Yeah, Toy Story 2 is a solid movie. Some could argue better than the first one, even. It, yeah. it really just crashed through the barriers. Like, I'm really big on sequels. I have high expectations of sequels that I constantly get let down. Toy yeah. Story 2 didn't do that. The real reason I put it on my list is for what I mentioned earlier. The first Toy Story paved the way, I believe, as being the first completely computer animated uh, movie in in. I think it's the first completely animated sequel, Toy Story 2 is. No, no, no the first, I'm talking about the first oh, one. Oh, 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 right. Yeah, I'm talking about the, the first one, I think, is the first fully animated computer computer animated movie. Yeah, um, yeah. And so that, that alone would make it get my list. I put Toy Story 2 because it was 1999, but again, Toy Story 2 is a very, very solid movie. Yes, it is. Very much mm -hmm. living up to the, the, the name that the first one had made for it. That's a, that is a much better pick. Don't worry, they just get better from here. Wow, that's uh, then, what's it called? I'm really looking forward to hearing your uh, other eight films now. <laughs> yeah, in my opinion, anyway. But uh, number nine for me. So, in 1993, uh, two amazing Spielberg movies came out. And one of them, Schindler's List, very deservedly mm -hmm. won Best Picture. It's a very well-made but heartbreaking movie to watch, and it's mm -hmm. fantastic. But I enjoy the other 93 Spielberg movie, Jurassic, Jurassic Park, Park, slightly more. This film doesn't have as much a say in terms of themes or lessons as Schindler's List does, obviously, but it's just so entertaining. Uh, it's revolutionary. Dinosaurs, action! Dinosaurs, yeah, the dinosaurs yeah. are really cool. One of the most satisfying moments to me in cinema in general is when the T-Rex eats yeah. that shady businessman oh. on the toilet. Yeah. Oh, that, that was just so satisfying to me, because I hated that guy. Yeah. I hate that guy so much. Uh, kudos to the actor. Uh, you you played an absolutely despicable person who just cares about money. But, uh, oh, what's it called? Jeff Goldblum is great. Oh. Uh, the, oh, yeah. meme, the meme now of him shirtless. Every oh. meme is classic. There's so many good yeah, Sam Neill, Laura Dern, Richard Attenborough, all fantastic, and uh, I don't, I actually, this might be a bit of an unpopular opinion, but may, I don't know if this is because I'm blinded by, blinded by nostalgia, but I don't find the kids annoying. I see a lot of people that are like, oh, the kids are so annoying. I personally don't. Like, I think that they're fine and they serve their purpose in the story, but yeah, Jurassic Park is my number nine. I think that the kids really represent actual kids. Mm -hmm. And actual kids have their annoying moments, mm -hmm. and uh, professionally, I think I can say that. The only thing that bothers me about Jurassic Park, though, is when Sam Neill and Laura Dern are blocking the door from one of the raptors, and then the little, and then the girl, uh, the uh, girl kid goes to the computer to try to block the door, but then the boy kid is just standing there doing nothing. Like, come on, kid! Like, <laughs> grab the shotgun that's laying on the floor and give it to Sam Neill so you can shoot the raptor in the face. Like, don't do something other than just standing behind your sister. Well, I'll like, tell come you, on. I'll tell you in the book, that's not how that scene played out at all. That book is actually my second favorite book of all time, and I read the book before I watched the movie. What I'll say for the movie. And, and this is high, high praise, they do a fantastic job of filling you with that eerie dread that something is coming with the, the footsteps. Yeah, yeah. And, like, they make you actually feel like when I was reading the book, and I'm like, oh, man, you got to get out of there. you got to get out of there. Like, they did a great job translating that onto the silver screen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, bo the book is uh, really great uh, as well. Tabitha, what's your number eight, Phil? Uh, you know, I might get pushed back for this, but I had to put a Tim Burton film in my list because he was so influential during this time. And honestly, he was the reason I had an emo phase. I feel like just like this sort of dark, but, uh, but like happy feel good vibes. Like that was something that really influenced me a lot as a child. So, I have no idea why, but unfortunately, the entire audio of Tabitha saying her 8th favorite film in the 90s, which is Edward Scissorhands, is just not there. Like, while editing, there's just a big gap uh, where the audio is muted, and I have no idea why that's the case. But, uh, so here's a uh, placeholder uh, audio insert from me saying that Tabitha's 8th favorite film is Edward Scissorhands.
Uh, but Edward Scissorhands is a great film, a mm-hmm. uh, great pick. The only issue I have with Edward Scissorhands personally is that towards the middle of the film, it gets a little bit slow, but uh, overall, great film. William, you're number eight. My number eight is American Beauty. Uh, that movie, for me, I think it was the first time I ever saw a movie, anything like it. I didn't, I was not an adult at the time. I could not really uh, relate to the main character's struggles with being middle-aged and feeling, I don't know, weighed down by the choices he had made in life at the time or whatever. But for some reason, it just it just really struck a chord with me. It was a beautiful movie to watch. American Beauty, a great film that I can't watch anymore because of who's in it. Uh man. Yeah. Ugh. Just, ugh. You know, I never watched it. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I just uh, what I, man, it it is a fantastic movie, but I just couldn't put it on this list because of, ah, uh, just so this that horrible, horrible man, just Who what he that? did was so, Kevin Spacey. Oh, okay. Yeah, That's what he did, really what he did was so awful and disgusting, and uh, he his career is dead, thankfully because of a horrible person that he is, but um, but it is a great, but on its own, it's a great film. And Sam Mendes, who directed it, would later direct uh, Jarhead and uh, 1917, which are uh, which are also really good uh, in their own ways. Mm. But uh, my number eight, you can't go wrong with Toy Story. Uh, Toy Story 2 is fantastic. I do prefer the first one. When comparing the Toy overall, Toy Story 3 is my favorite, but mm-hmm. Toy Story 3 is not a 90s film, so that's not on this list. So the first one is, for me... I mean, everything that you said, William, it's revolutionary, uh, the one that started all. What can I say? It's Toy Story. Yeah, it really put, uh, like, Disney Pixar on the map. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, uh, I think it is a great film, but I actually did not like it as a child. Um, really? Yeah, really? something about it a little bit creeped me out. I think the animation was still in its infantile. Yes, yes. Yeah, I just wasn't very into it when I was a kid, but I can clinically say, like, that it is a good film. Alright, yeah, that's understandable, yeah. I, the animation, yeah, it doesn't hold up super well today, but mm-hmm. for its time, it yeah. was revolutionary. Yeah. Uh, what's your number seven? <laughs> um, hmm. The Mask. <laughs> with Jim Carrey? Yes, with Jim Carrey. Don't worry, mine's a guilty pleasure, too. I loved the mask i quoted it literally all the time as a child i smoking yeah it was the first jim carrey film i had ever seen and it made a huge impact on me it was one that i just thought was funny i think that it showcases his talents really well while i feel in some of his other films it becomes a little overbearing for me i think that because it was <laughs> sonic <laughs> i think that that in this film, because it's an alter ego, this persona that he puts on, it really works in this world. So, I really love The Mask. Alright, yeah. No, I really like The Mask, too. But, uh, William, what's your, uh, number seven? My number seven, halfway guilty pleasure, halfway, I'll stand behind this movie. I love the movie Galaxy Quest. Yes, it Galaxy is, Quest! It is so... Galaxy Quest! It is so great! You gotta love Alan Rickman in it, like, rest in soul. Rest in peace. Yeah, rest in peace. Um, You know, it's a a Tim Allen movie that I don't feel like it flopped. (laughs) (laughs) And, man, uh, I just don't know what else to say about it. It, it, It's, you know, it starts out kind of pitting Star Wars and Trekkies, like, against each other, and... And, but at the same time, making fun of both of them. But at the same time, celebrating both of them. It, I think it just... It well, more so Trek than Wars, personally. I feel like uh, Galaxy Quest is more of a commentary on Star Trek than Star Wars uh, fandom. But Galaxy Quest is not a guilty pleasure because I think it's a legitimately great movie that is funny. And I'm so happy you mentioned it because it almost made it onto my list as well. Mm, it's a great one. But uh, my number seven... You can't go wrong with Arnold. Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Mm. Terminator 2 Judgment Day is probably my favorite action film of all time. Wow. I don't know if this is the best action film, like, ever, but this is the action film that I'm most, like, 
excited, most uh, excited to like uh, revisit. Yeah, no, I just think it's really, uh, really good. And uh, Linda Hamilton, fantastic as Sarah Connor. Edward Furlong, pretty, really good as uh, John Connor. And of course, you can't go, like I said before, you just can't go wrong with Arnold. <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> but uh, Tabitha, what's your number six? The reason I'm a hippie. Holy. We watched it in school when I was young, and I haven't forgotten about it. <laughs> uh, I think that its message is delightful. The animation is charming. A Robin Williams film that he stood behind because of its messaging. Fairies, rainforests, like what is there not to like? It does a great job of bringing you into a world that could exist. It, you know, within, it, it really introduces you to the ecosystem that we mm -hmm. uh, ignore and we don't mm -hmm. pay attention to, and it makes it easily accessible to children, and it's probably honestly the reason why a ton of millennials are so, in like, environmentalists and stuff like that. Like, I, I think it just kind of, it's like logging, deforestation, those people are evil. <laughs> yeah, they really, I mean, it, it just sort of tells the truth from the forest perspective of what we're doing to the environment. I see. Cool. Well, I'll check it out at some point. But, uh, William, what's your uh, number six? My number six, I wasn't going to be able to get through uh, a list of talking about the 90s, such a golden era for Disney, without getting one in there. So Tarzan <laughs> makes it onto my list. I, I kind of do mean this to be kind of encompassing of Disney in general. But Tarzan, I, I stand by that one. The the soundtrack is, it depends on how, how much you really like Phil Collins, but it, I think it's pretty top tier. So Tarzan over Beauty and the Beast, mm -hmm. Lion King, Aladdin, and Hercules? Hey, and I, Mulan? No, really? Just... Hey, I had a theme of 1999 and I'm sticking to it. You that's can why, really see that. That's, a, that's <laughs> again true. why I said I'm using it to kind of encompass Disney films during that's this time. not fair. It's not fair to the rest of us. But, yeah, I mean... I mean, out of all of those, my favorite, yeah, probably Beauty and the Beast. I was a huge Beauty and the Beast fan growing up, but... Beauty and the Beast, the first animated movie to be nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, I mean... Solid film, solid film. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, well, I, I do like Tarzan. Uh, Turk can go die, though. Turk is <laughs> horrible and annoying, but everything else about the movie, yeah. Uh, and that, that film alone made me want to learn to skateboard, because I was like, I can't slide through the trees like he does, so I'm just gonna have to learn how to skateboard, and so I did. I definitely, I liked the film, and I, and I watched it a lot as a kid. But something about the soundtrack made me sad all the time. So I'm not a huge fan. And I also think Disney's strengths lie in its ability to create musicals, which this rode the line between being a musical and just being a film with a soundtrack. And I was not a huge fan of that. Uh, it kind of lost a little bit of its Disney charm in doing that. I see. By yeah. musicals, you mean where the characters themselves are singing? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Through song. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's fair because that yeah, like you said, that's not really present in it, and there is mm -hmm. just kind of a, a soundtrack that accompanies. Right. I do overall prefer when the characters in the movie sing in Disney movies, mm -hmm. but I do like Phil Collins. I th I think that the Tarzan soundtrack. Not maybe not top tier, but it's really good. I think that you'll be in my heart very deservedly uh, deserve very uh, deserved its uh, win for best uh, original song Oscar. And uh, yeah, like what's it called? I I do really like Tarzan, but I like uh, Beauty and the Beast uh, even more. It's a really great film that has a a really great message behind it. It was a like I said before, it was the first uh, animated film. Uh, to be nominated for Best Picture. I will acknowledge that there are some outdated aspects of Beauty and the Beast with the whole Stockholm Syndrome kind of thing, but personally, I do see how Belle and the Beast can learn to, like, really care about each other and uh, grow to, uh, you know, uh, their relationship can turn from antagonistic to romantic. I mean, yeah, there is an element of Stockholm Syndrome to it, but for the most part, I do think that the writers did a good job of developing it, and I do like the characters on their own. And But of course, the candle and the clock are... Mm. Lumiere and Cogsworth. Lumiere and Cogsworth are chef's kiss. Wah. 
just I love those two so much. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Beauty and the Beast is uh, my number six. What's your number five, Tabitha? Sticking with the Disney theme, Lion King. Nice. I loved Lion King. I think I have the whole movie memorized. I had it on VHS and watched it just about every day. Like, I was obsessed with it, and I still am. It holds up. It has an amazing plot. I mean, Hamlet with lions. Um, incredible soundtrack. It, it does some of the, we have a soundtrack, but doesn't lose the Disney charm of having the characters themselves express themselves in song. And I, I mean, it's just incredible. There's a reason why uh, it did so well in the box office. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Uh, William, what's your number five? This one, uh, yep, I'll stand by this one. It's Boondock Saints. I absolutely love, like, there's, you know, there's that little part of in each of us that want to be, like, who want to go just upset the status quo and do things with this kind of righteous fury. And you get to, you get to play out that little fantasy in your head when you watch uh, Boondock Saints. Uh, for me, I don't think I had seen a movie with Willem Dafoe in it prior to that, and I was like... Really? Wait, 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 so... I think this was my first Willem Dafoe movie. Wait, so you saw Boondock Saints before Spider-Man? I think so. When did, when did the first Spider-Man come out? 2002. Yeah. Well, this came out in 1999. Yeah, but there are movies I, I saw in the 2000s I saw before the 90s. Yeah, so. but he's an old man. I, 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 by that time, I was 10 years old. Okay. All right, all right. Well, yeah, well, William Dafoe is great in Boondock Saints, but yeah, please continue. Yeah, no, I just, I, I was like, who is this quirky, weird dude? Like, he really, he, he plays that part spectacularly, and it made me, it made me a really Willem Dafoe fan uh, from there on out. Willem, the fact that Willem Dafoe does not have an Oscar yet is baffling to me. He should have been nominated and won for The Lighthouse. Uh, even if you didn't like The Lighthouse, you gotta acknowledge his performance. Wow. So amazing. But yeah, Boondock Saints, uh, really enjoy that film. It's not like one of my favorites, but it's enjoyable. My number five... I'm not allowed to talk about this film, actually. So Tabitha, <laughs> what's your number... No. Uh, my number five is Fight Club. Fair enough. Fight Club, the movie that made everybody both both fall in love with and at the same time be terrified of Brad Pitt. <laughs> Brad Pitt in this movie is so, like, he's so attractive. At first, like, he's, you only see him as a super attractive, cool guy, but then uh, as the film goes on, he starts to become more psychotic. And, uh, of course, there's that very famous twist, which I actually knew the twist in Fight Club before watching the movie. So watching it for the first time in film class was actually a very different experience to me than most people. So, uh, well, yeah, so I knew the twist beforehand, so watching it, I was able to, uh, for the first time, I was able to pick up on all the clues and hints beforehand that was hinting at the twist, and I was like, oh, okay, and I was just able to enjoy just the absolutely insanity of Fight Club, and, uh, and also Helena Bonham Carter, yeah. phenomenal oh, actress. Yes. So Tabitha had not seen this movie prior and when you said that we were going to be talking about this i just started raving about great movies of the 90s and this was one of the ones that we landed on and she said she hadn't seen it so we went that night and we watched it we pulled it up i have for whatever reason two copies of the dvd so we just popped one in and we watched fight club well, we and watched it a while ago we watched it like a week ago yes but that was my second time watching oh okay yeah. who's it first time yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. I was introduced not that long ago, but it's a great film, and I see why it has sort of held such high status uh, for so long. Yeah, love. so good, so good. Love that movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's my number five for a reason. But uh, mm -hmm. what's your number four, Tabitha? Another Jim Carrey film, The Truman Show. Um, I love his serious roles, um, like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, yes. which comes out far later, but uh, I think that he's a phenomenal actor with good range, and I think that the Truman Show kind of lands somewhere in between his two personas of, like,
serious guy, but also a little yeah, bit crazy. He still get, and he still gets to be goofy. You hear him yeah. talking to himself in the mirror and stuff like that. You get to pick up yeah. on what what we know of him. His serious roles are definitely like by and far my favorite roles. Yeah. I really like the number twenty three as well. I really mm. I like the suspense that's uh, in there. Uh. Yeah, but I, I definitely enjoyed the Truman Show. And it's one of those films that if you haven't seen it, I really recommend you do. It changes yes. your perspective on life, I think, in some ways. So, um, definitely had me paranoid for a couple of days that I was just in a movie. <laughs> yeah, no, The Truman Show is fantastic. It literally, Truman Show, I'm not joking, that literally is my 11th favorite movie. Like, it mm -hmm. almost, like, it was this close. Yeah. Like, it's like at number 11 for me. Mm -hmm. But uh, what's your uh, number four, William? My number four is The Sixth Sense. Very good fun. good pick. Good yeah, pick. good pick. Yeah, absolutely. I, again, I'm around the age where I saw this close to when it came out. I didn't really have anything spoiled for me. Mm -hmm. It played out very well. And it really defined so much of what was considered good cinema. What was good movie making. And... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I could say that we could do a whole a whole podcast just on The Sixth Sense, probably. And we already yeah. did. You guys, we yeah. talked about M. Night Shyamalan we did. a while yeah. back. Yeah. We did, we did. But I stand by more of his movies than you do, for yeah. sure. I, I didn't have anything of The Sixth Sense spoiled for me before I watched it. And it was actually, I was like a teenager by then. So I was surprised that I hadn't had it spoiled for me. But when I watched it, I thought it was an incredible film. So that's a really good pick. So just like Fight Club, the twist was spoiled for me for The Sixth Sense before watching it, but having a twist spoiled for me actually made me appreciate The Sixth Sense even more, in a weird way. And uh, it was my first M. Night Shyamalan film, mm -hmm. so uh, I, was, uh, I was like, oh man, it can only get better from here. Oh. Oh. Yeah. But I yeah. Signs was my first, so this was definitely a step up from that for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, oh yeah, no, yeah. Uh, I mean, Science has its good moments, it's but Sixth Sense is definitely a lot better. Yeah. I, think, yeah. I think Science also is one of those that kind of pressed forward within its kind of genre, dealing with, you know... It was too dry for the child that I was when I watched it. That, that is fair. It's very slow-moving and dry. But then again, also, so is uh, The Sixth Sense. It, I mean, so are Shyamalan movies, right? <laughs> they're, they're all pretty slow-moving, kind of dry yeah, yeah, no, yeah, exactly. But um, I, I hope that Shyamalan does uh, return uh, to greatness, especially after how painfully mediocre Glass was. But uh, but I hear decent things about his Apple TV show, Servants. But um, uh, my number four is my second favorite Steven Spielberg movie of all time. It's Saving Private Ryan. This film was, uh, this film is, uh, mo most famous for and praised for its extremely, uh, disturbing opening, uh, D-Day sequence, uh, on Normandy Beach. Uh, many real-life army veterans praised it for how, uh, gritty, brutal, and realistic the, uh, scene was. But I think that the rest of the movie has a lot to offer as well. Uh, Tom Hanks goes to a very interesting, all the soldiers really, uh, in Tom Hanks' group go through a very interesting arc. I like how... We don't get, we don't see Matt Damon at all until like the very end of the film. Uh, it's a very emotional film. It's extremely well made, and the fact that Shakespeare in Love won Best Picture over this is absolutely baffling to me. I am really not sure what happened with the audio, but I had a little bit more uh, that I originally said about Saving Private Ryan and the entire. Uh, section of Tabitha saying her third favorite film, which is Bicentennial Man starring Robin Williams, was just cut out for some really stupid reason. So I really apologize. I'm not sure why there are these just blank audio gaps in the recording. Uh, I honestly don't know what happened, but yeah, Tabitha's number three film is Bicentennial Man starring Robin Williams, and now we're going to get into uh, Williams' number three. Alright, you you might have been able to predict that we were going here because of previous podcasts, but here we are. This is podcast racing. We're going Fen Phantom Menace. My Phantom Menace is my number three because... Oh, gosh. Oh, no, it's number three. And here's <laughs> no. why. You two were a little bit younger, but when it first came out, my dad hadn't 
really introduce me too much to Star Wars. I mean, I think he did, but he was super into Star Wars. My dad was so into Star Wars, and when they started coming out with new Star Wars movies, he was all over it, and he made sure that I was going to see every single one of them as they came out. I got to experience them the same way that he got to experience Star Wars the first time. My dad got to experience it in theaters as it came out. I got to experience The Phantom Menace as they came out, uh, the, the prequel trilogy as it came out. I'm not going to go into it and, and talk about, you know, all the good and bad things about the movie itself, but I love that it paved the way for more Star Wars movies, even if with the sequel trilogy, I later regretted that. And what's interesting with Phantom Menace is that that's actually a very first Star Wars movie that I saw. Uh, so as a kid, I saw 1, 2, and then 4, 5, and 6. I haven't hadn't seen 3 yet because it hadn't come out in theaters yet. And then I saw 3. And then the sequel trilogy, obviously. But uh, but yeah, like Phantom Menace was a, very that was a movie that introduced me to Star Wars. And I am grateful for Phantom Menace's... Uh, existence for introducing me to my favorite uh, cinematic universe of all time but it's not a great movie it's, it's really outdated jar jar sucks uh, it jar has jar... its moments though we love seeing liam neeson in it we love seeing darth maul's character introduced we yeah love... i mean well darth maul darth maul like his fight with Obi-Wan was cool, but Darth Maul didn't become a good character until the Clone Wars show, honestly. Um, I'm going to say so cool. I'm going to say yes and no because um, obviously he has he has there's much more to his history or whatever or to to what goes on with Darth Maul after after the events of Phantom Menace, but so much of that to me feels like fanfic that was written because people loved what they saw, what little they saw. In the Phantom Menace, they said we need more of this, and the fanfic is kind of how I feel everything progressed from there. I also think that it was my first film, but it was a terrible introduction for me to Star Wars because <laughs> I was so bored during most of that film. Yeah, the yeah. The politics, the pod racing, like it all lasted too long, and I was a child. Yeah, I did yeah. not care about any of that, so I didn't care about it until I saw the originals much later and then i went back and rewatched as an adult understanding the context of the situation and then i was like oh look i get it now but well as a kid i loved phantom menace but as an adult i'm like eh. yeah. so yeah as a kid the the all of the politics stuff went over my head i wasn't that bored during it though you're still seeing cool aliens talk about i don't know grown-up stuff but but I love the pod racing, and then I got older, and now I'm kind of like, we could skip the pod racing scene. Like, that's not what I'm here for. What I'm here for is, I like seeing Anakin's progression. I like I like seeing how it set the stage for the Empire to come. Anakin's progression? He was a little kid, yeah. and all he, did was, all he did was pod racing and say <laughs> the stupid line, No, this is pod racing! Although, I am grateful to that line for my intro. No, that's this right. is podcast racing. So yeah, uh, Phantom Menace, I am grateful for its existence, but I'm happy that, I am happy that it's, if it's your number three, uh, if it gives you, like, genuine happiness while watching it. <laughs> but, um, my number three, I, when I said that Terminator 2 was my favorite action movie, I lied. It's actually my second favorite action movie. My favorite action movie, The Matrix. Yeah. The Matrix I mean, is my number three film. Good. It definitely has some outdated elements to it, for sure, with its world-building and also the acting. It's not great, but it's just such a fun film. Its effects are revolutionary. I mean, bullet time. After The Matrix came out, every other action film in the early 2000s was copying The Matrix. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I just really like it a lot. Good choice. Yeah, really when, choice. that was the movie I was talking about earlier where someone hadn't seen it and they were like, oh, should I watch the Matrix, and I'm like, well, you could just watch most modern action movies because they all just try to copy The Matrix after that. You look at, uh, like, so think about the cinematics of fight scenes and stuff like that. I don't think that we would have Inception. Inception wouldn't have happened without The Matrix because I think about the cinematography of fight scenes and stuff like that. So I think we owe a lot to The Matrix, another 1999 film. Uh, we owe a lot to The Matrix because it gave us so much. Exactly. So much. 
Yeah, yeah, it did give us so much. And you don't even really need to bother with the sequels or anything like that. You can yeah, just kind of the sequels them. are just okay. They're yeah. not. They're not terrible. They're yeah. not terrible like so many people say. Well, Revolutions is not good, but Re- <laughs> I mean, Revol- Reloaded has plenty of good stuff to it. But the bad stuff is does stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah. But it's hard when you go God mode in the first one. It's it's like any movie where they save the world or the universe in the first one. Well. What's our what's our real what's it what's the next one gonna be about? And, yeah, and you yeah. just have a power creep issue. Same, it, it happens with so many things. Uh, Tabitha, what's your number two film? We already spoke about it, uh, but I thought it deserved a higher place. Jurassic Park. Mm. Uh, I think it really influenced a lot of films to come. I think I, I mean it was a huge deal, huge deal, and I was obsessed with dinosaurs growing up, so I was very into it. Yeah, Jurassic Park, we already said a lot of great things about it, but it's my number two. Nice, nice. Uh, William, what's your number two? My number two is The Matrix, so you beat me to it by one, but I, for all the same reasons you said and I said then, I think it was a great movie. I'm really glad that you have The Matrix on your list as well. My number two is another film. I kind of have a theme here of including films that should have won Best Picture but didn't. I, I really like Forrest Gump, but Shawshank Redemption, it's the highest rated film on IMDb for a reason. It's a classic. Morgan Freeman is just amazing. Tim Robbins is uh, great in it. It's the film that introduced me to the best cinematographer of all time, Roger Deakins, who would later deservedly win two Oscars for Blade Runner 2049 and 1917. Roger Deakins, everything that he shoots looks amazing, even if the film that he's involved in isn't good. Everything that shoots is amazing, and Shawshank Redemption is no exception. It's a really uh, compelling uh, story. It's uh, entertaining despite uh, its long runtime. It's a Stephen King adaptation that uh, I really like, and uh, and and the director would uh, later create The Walking Dead. Maybe not a great thing to say, but uh, Shawshank Redemption. It's my second favorite film of the 90s yeah i didn't know actually until researching for this podcast that it was a stephen king novella yeah like i didn't i didn't actually know that at all all right here we go tabitha your favorite film of the 90s so i felt the need to choose this i think because i watched it at least four times in history class I think it's one of the most influential films for Americans, maybe in film history, just because of the, the narrative of the story. Uh, and I think it's an all-over great film, Forrest Gump. Mm. I think the filming's good, the character development is good. You see the pull in two separate directions from the American people. I love the, the sort of um, metaphors that are just riddled through the story the different characters, you see what America looks like, who America is if they were people, like they were distributed into small character arcs. I think that Forrest Gump is an amazing film, especially in a time of turmoil uh, as a country. I think that it would be really great to revisit some of the themes in that film that I think bring us to our roots of what it means to be an American. I think one of the things that I appreciate about it most is that upon getting older I really like how how kind of gentle they are with the hyperbole you know he becomes this larger than life character who yeah. has lived through so many very pivotal points in American history and important to all of them somehow whether it's by playing right. ping pong or running <laughs> across the country like like he does all of these things yeah. that you maybe hear about one person doing in their lives yeah but you don't hear about one person doing all of them. And how somehow he's still lovable through all of it. Like, he becomes more endearing because he doesn't understand how larger than life he is. He's just a man living his life. And and we all know that person. We all know that person who's like that, who would sit on a, a bus stop bench and tell you the whole life story. <laughs> Which yeah. is precisely what he does, and that's the whole plot of the movie, essentially. And it shows how incredible the growth of America has been. Like, I think that you see in his growth, the growth of the characters, all the things that happen in that movie, like, wow, 
there's been some crazy stuff that's happened in this country, and I don't, like, have a ton of, like, national pride or anything like that, but this, this film helps me to see the, the good things about America and the bad things about America in a really, I think, eloquently put together way that's easy to digest, helps you to see that, of course, America has thought it's the good guy because look at Forrest Gump, even, you know, like, he, he thinks he's the all-American good guy, but then all the other characters are also feeding into some of the, the turmoil that the rest of America may be. I would feeling. disagree with Forrest Gump thinking that he, that thinking highly of himself. I actually think that the whole purpose of the, what is appealing to the movie with for me personally uh -huh. is that Forrest Gump doesn't care that he's been involved in all these significant events. Yeah. The whole purpose of the movie is that despite him being involved in all these events, he, the only person that he really cares for, well, I mean, obviously his mom, but mm -hmm. Jenny. Jenny, now Jenny is kind of a horrible person to Forrest. She's very verbally and emotionally abusive to him, which is unfortunately ironic because she was abused as a little girl by her dad, but, you know, she's not a great person to him. Like, she literally hid the fact that she and Forrest had a kid together, and she didn't introduce the kid to Forrest until he visited her, and it's like, what? But... That's really appealing to the movie for me is that Forrest doesn't care how awful she is to him and he doesn't care that he's been in, in like that he's been in China, that he's uh, met JFK and uh, that he's you know run around the country. He doesn't care about uh, and that he got uh, praise for that. He doesn't care about that. He just cares about uh, providing for uh, Jenny and uh, living a, a, a life with her that Unfortunately, it didn't last long, uh, spoilers, but uh, but yeah, I, I really like Forrest Gump. I do prefer Shawshank Redemption, but I do really like Forrest Gump mm -hmm. as well. What's your favorite film, William, of the 90s? We have already talked about it, and I hinted that it was on my list. Fight Club. Fight Club, mm. for me, it's it's the be-all, end-all of the, of the 90s. It's... It's strange, you know, I'm, I'm millennial, and Fight Club was definitely, like, a Gen X power fantasy that, like, the, the rage against corporate America, the, the anarchy kind of movement that was popular for a while, the, the whole subverting the government through secret societies and plot and, and just getting in fights to blow off steam because you're a paper pusher in, in corporate America, like, I don't know, it just, it, it kind of hits with people who like to say, yeah, what if that was me? Or what if there was a fight club? Would I be, would I be a part of it? And I don't know. And the cinematography was pretty great, and I love the way that they push the plot forward at any given junction. Uh, struck me as kind of unique his his reliance on uh, self-help groups propels him into the main bulk of the movie but also his relationship with characters or just the fight club itself uh yeah i don't know i i think that the thing about fight club and the reason why it didn't get on my list i think it's a really well-made movie i think its messaging can be used for good or evil and I've seen it too many times used for evil, even though I think the whole point is the opposite of what a lot of people take from it. So I love the film. I think the cinematography is incredible. I think it's so fun to watch and get swept up in. But I think that the fact that it gets used for evil too often really bugs me about it because it shouldn't be. Anyway. But, but should that be an issue towards the actual film itself? Like, that's clearly not what the filmmakers were intending, but should, so should that be... Like, David Fincher was clearly intending for this to be a, a critique towards that type mm -hmm. of behavior, um, even though, unfortunately, many people see it as a an praise and yeah. or endorsement of that type of behavior. So do you think that that should be a critique towards uh, David Fincher, even though that wasn't his intention? So you asked what my favorites were, and I think that this influences how I feel about the film. So, watching it, I can enjoy it myself, but I don't think I can put it on a favorites list, even though it's a great film. I don't know. I did, there's something about it to me that has been knocked down a few pegs just because of the way it's been utilized in society. I so, see. I yeah. see. All right. Well, 
Uh, before I share my favorite film of the 90s, I just want to uh, quick, just uh, quickly acknowledge how great the 90s were for oh, cinema. So like, good. I mean, what's it called? There were so many great films that didn't make it on any of our lists uh, that are fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, Close Up, The Usual Suspects, uh, Joy the, Luck Club, The Green Mile, Green yeah. Mile. Uh, the Prince of Egypt. Batman Returns. Batman Returns was decent. Prince of Egypt <laughs> is... Prince of Egypt just gets better every time I think about it. And it's a, yeah. one of the few Christian films that's actually good. It's Truly, very, it's very yeah. Good. Fifth Element. Usual Suspects. Man, there are so many that... The Iron Giant. Iron Giant, Iron Giant yes! Men in Black. Mm -hmm. Iron yeah. Giant, Men in Black. There's so many great films that just uh are fantastic that we didn't even uh that weren't on on any of our lists uh but um and so many of these are actually better made movies than my number one film but my number one film i am always alert watching this film like whenever i was channel surfing as a kid and it was on tv i would just stop the channel and just watch the whole movie through and i never failed to cry i never failed to laugh i never failed to sing along while watching my favorite Disney movie of all time, The Lion King. Mm. The Lion King is my favorite movie of the 90s. It's my favorite uh, Disney movie. It's probably my favorite animated kids movie. Although Incredibles and Spider-Man Into Spider-Verse might come, they come really close. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I love this movie a lot. Hakuna Matata, Circle of Life. Uh, the score by Hans Zimmer very deservedly oh. won the Oscar. So and uh, it's such a powerful score. And uh, the scene where uh, Simba sees uh, Mufasa in the lake is just so, and, and layer in the clouds is so powerful, and the ending is so satisfying, and I just, I just love it. I love it so much. Yeah, totally understandable. Watched it on repeat so much of it as a child. I mean, honestly, it's what Frozen is going to be to modern day children. Like, it's everywhere you know you have lion king themed birthday parties like i had coloring books i would i named my first cat simba it was so influential to so many kids yeah. and adults who well, watched it what's funny about lion king actually is that disney was convinced that pocahontas would be the big uh, box office and yeah. critical darling they had the A team working on Pocahontas and B team working on Lion King. Uh, Disney didn't really care about Lion King at all, but then Lion King turned out to be a huge hit, and Pocahontas, not not a big hit. But yeah, like Lion King is phenomenal. Lion King is like Empire Strikes Back, and Tarzan is like mm -hmm. Attack of the Clones. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, I uh, I think that I think that uh, I'm really impressed by uh, all of your guys' list. Uh, I do uh, want to check out by. Uh, Bicentennial Man now. Mm -hmm. uh, only one I guess I would... And Fern Goalie. Mm -hmm. Only one I guess I would disagree with is Wild Wild West. <laughs> but... Hey, you have me on this show so you can disagree with me. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> that's not true. I have you on this show because I like you. <laughs> and I'm really happy that uh, both of you were on the podcast again. So thank you guys so much. Yeah. Oh, it was a blast. Always as a pleasure. Always. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, thank, uh, thank you all who are listening for listening. Uh, hope you guys are all doing well and uh, looking forward to uh, next time. Bye.